Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. It's the fire in. It's the fire in. Mate, yeah. Welcome listeners to another episode of The Extra Inch. I'm Wendy and this time I'm joined by our tactics guy Nathan A. Clark. Hello Nathan. Hello mate. And a very special guest we've got Nico Morales. Nico hello. How are you guys doing today? Very well thank you. Very well. Before I introduce Nico properly I want to say firstly thank you for the very lovely feedback on the two youth episodes we put out. They were very well received, which I was slightly surprised by. I thought we'd gone a bit too deep on the youth, but people were very complimentary about our two guests, who were both fantastic. And Nathan, special shout out. He did a great job with the sound under slightly challenging circumstances. (laughs) Um, Also, as you may have heard in our previous two episodes, we've got ourselves a sponsor for the next few months. So it's it's a sponsor chosen specifically for our podcast. We've teamed up with the OneFootball app. It's available on the App Store and on Google Play. They've currently got an article on the app about Spurs being willing to sell two central midfield players in the January transfer window. They suggest that we might be willing to listen to offers for Moussa Dembele and Victor Wanyama. And they think that we could command a fee of around 20 million euros for Wanyama. Nathan, under what circumstances could we sell those two in January? Uh, Well, collectively, under the idea that we would be replacing them. But I think individually... um... It makes some sense. I think the Wanyama situation, that Wanyama's really good and we've been really impressed with the performances that he's put up, but it's like a year on and he's still injured. He's still not finding match fitness. He might play um, tomorrow against West Ham or he might not. Um, I think that we want to sell him before it becomes how obvious his injury (laughs) is. There's a lot going on about um, sort of it being worse, even worse than it seems. Apparently, um, Steve Nash, who Nico can tell us more about, let it slip <laughs> that that Wanyama um, has got some some degenerative issues with his knees. So I think it's it's quite a lot like as as Steve Nash did. Oh, okay, so he sort of knows about. Okay, so he's yeah. sort of got sort of an inside view of what that situation is like. Um, so yeah, it sort of looks a bit like the Sandro situation in that we have a. Um, defensive midfielder who's sort of broken and we want to turn some money on him before um it becomes clear how badly he's broken and presumably there'll be some chinese club willing to drop 20 million for a a degeneratively injured player so yeah yeah that kind of makes sense but dembele i mean he's had a bit of a renaissance in in recent week um and without without bringing someone in it would be crazy to let him go at this point right without bringing someone in uh, he did, definitely did look good against psv as we know over the last two three seasons he does find fitness and form in the middle period of the season um so do you want to sell him while he's fit probably because you can sort of you know we know that clubs in a lot of cases are still pretty dumb and still pretty um <laughs> recency biased so if he puts you know four or five good games together before the january window then you know again like when yama cash in while the stocks are high 
And as one football points out in their article, he only has 18 months left on his contract too. So it might be a case of cashing in while we can still get some value. So I think we're going to move on from there and talk a bit about Nico. He, Nico, if you don't know him, is a freelance football writer who has written for The Ringer and Statsbomb, amongst other sites. And he's also Nathan's mate. <laughs> um, Nico, how did you get into football? How did you get into Man City? And how did you get into analytics and writing about analytic football? Because those are so such broad questions. I, I don't think I'll have enough time in one breath to kind of cover it all. But um, yeah, basically, I just, you know, it was in my early college years that I started watching the Premier League again, and I got really into it. And, you know, a lot of people give me crap for supporting Manchester City, which they should. Um, you know, there's a lot wrong with it, I guess, and especially in the modern era. Um, but none of the people that I knew that sort of got me back into football, because I played football as a kid. Um, actually, when I lived in Spain, I lived in a small town called uh, Hihong, and I played for the Sporting Hihong Youth Academy. Um, but then when I came back to the States, you know, the, the football, the especially the youth football here, isn't something that a lot of people are focused on. And I just didn't like playing anymore because the kids were so bad, to kind of put it frankly. So after a while, I became disinterested in it. But then when I got back into it because of some friends, like I said, in the early college years, None of them were Manchester City fans. I didn't know a single one of them. They were all Arsenal or Manchester United or even Chelsea fans. And so with that, you know, I saw this other team that was doing well, and I liked some of the players, specifically Ayatoure, and I thought, you know what, this will be my team. And so I kind of went from there, and slowly I think I just uh, I started to gravitate towards some of the guys. I know you guys uh, on the other sort of related podcast, uh, the Fighting Cock, I guess the main one. Um, they've had Adam Boltwood on there, and he's someone I used to work with pretty closely as a, as a member of the front three. And I started watching those guys on Football Daily Weekly, and they had a more tactical or analytical view of the game as opposed to, you know, just the reg- regular punditry that we're subjected to. And I think slowly but surely that sort of led me to people like Nathan and other analytical minds within the game. And eventually, I, I think I was encouraged to kind of talk about it myself and thankfully over the past couple of years i've actually had some success in doing so so that's the abridged version of how all of this happened that's awesome and i have to say that you you write in a very accessible way um and i think because because you're kind of i don't i don't mean to sound this offensively but i, I don't mean this to sound offensive rather but you're kind of on the outskirts of the analytics community in a way because you write write about football in an accessible way where you talk about things that are seen with the eyes but then you bring in stats into that as well. And I think that's the way that a lot of people enjoy reading analytical articles. Um, and, and from my perspective, that, that, me- that makes your writing that much better. Um, just, just in case people do switch off, and I'm, 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 I'd hope they wouldn't, we're just going to uh, give out your, your details now so if people want to read more, they can. Um, you're on Twitter at Nico underscore O Morales, is that right? Yes, sir. And do you have a website or a site you primarily write for? Uh, no, I do. I, like you said at, at sort of the top, I, I do a lot of freelance work. I've, you know, appeared on on the Ringer and Stats Bomb and the Athletic, and recently I've been doing stuff for Fansided. But yeah, the the best way to kind of keep up with my work, if you are so inclined, is just my Twitter feed because I keep it pretty updated. Awesome. So let's talk a bit about the um, analytics side because I've noticed recently and, and over the past few months that the analytics crew d- do tend to get into a few online skirmishes. Why Why do you think that is, Nathan? And and why can't everyone just get along? it's <laughs> a good question um partly because there's sort of um a variation of approaches in that that some are more analytics more more stats based and some are more tactics based and they're always going to grind against each other but as people from outside the circle will rightly point out there's a lot of elitism within analytics which is that 
well, I'm right, and the numbers say I'm right, therefore I'm right. And when you get a large community of that type of person, which I absolutely am myself, then people are going to butt heads. And when they do, they're not going to easily give way to one another. I mean, I'm like that, but without the numbers. <laughs> I just say I'm right about everything regardless. Repeat ad nauseum. No, I mean, that, that, that makes sense. Have you, um, Nico, have you been involved in any uh, online confrontations with people regarding analytics? Oh, 100%. I think what Nathan is saying there is sort of correct. And just to kind of further along that, you know, I think a lot of people tend to be testy about the way that they answer things that they don't agree with as well. And since there are these sort of competing ideologies as to how you approach the game, you're taking a you're taking crowds of people that are already sort of on the outskirts of the mainstream because although there has been this adoption of tactics and analytics to a certain extent in the mainstream, it's still very much sort of on the periphery. So you're taking people that are constantly marginalized anyways, and then you're pitting them against one another, um, which is probably never a good idea. So I think that's generally the reason why people in the analytics and tactics community tend to tend to battle each other out on on the timeline. But yeah, I've been I've been in a few, but you know, for the sake of my mental health, I try to stay out of those things. (laughs) Yeah, I think that's for the best. How do you feel actually about um, analytics being brought into the mainstream? So for example, we saw, I think it was last season or the season before, the XG stat was brought into Match of the Day and it made a few ripples. People, Some people didn't like it, purists didn't like it, some people were kind of getting into it. Um, and we, I mean, we could talk for a long time about XG and its branding and the way it is, but what, how do you feel about kind of analytics being used by um, mainstream football media? Is it something you'd rather see sort of kept to one side or are you happy for it to become mainstream? I think it, you know, I'm, I'm, I sort of view all of this as, as different forms of entertainment, right? And even in, in its analysis, like people are going to take and order off the menu of entertainment what they want to see in the game. And I think some people, and there was some, there was something that Flav um, said a long time ago on, on I think, Ball Street that really spoke to me in terms of the, the fact that he was speaking about, I think, people like Nathan and myself who, you know, he says, I don't really want to look at the game from that perspective, but I value that perspective. I think it's a good thing, and I think there's a place for it. And so there are some people that want to turn on Match of the Day and have the typical analysis that maybe we're used to for the past, you know, 40 or 50 years, whatever the case might be. But there is a growing audience of people that want to look at the game in a different way and want analysis in a different way. And so I think to your, you know, to your question about do I think it's a good thing or or what is my opinion of it in general? I think it is generally a good thing because you are giving people a different way to look at the game. You're giving people more variety as opposed to, you know, telling everyone that they need to look at the game in this specific way from the mind of an ex-pro from the mind of you know x y or z and you know it's just it's just variety so generally i think it's a good thing and the more that the more options we can give people and how they want to look at something that i think we all love at the end of the day no matter how we look at it you know the better that is a very balanced well done to you <laughs> um, we we're, we're recording the day after spurs have played man city and you know conveniently you're a man city fan so it only it seems to make sense that we're going to talk a little bit about the game and in many ways it was quite an interesting game tactic to talk about anyway um but let's talk a bit about city first so firstly nico a city even better this season than last i think so i think um mike goodman and a few other people within this you know sort of statistics analytics community have written as much but yeah they i think they are they i think there was a question somewhere in the running order where you kind of talk about you know 
what makes city special and i think it it is very much intertwined with this answer in the sense that the reason city are better whereas you know you look at previous title winning teams of the past and even you know let's take antonio conte's chelsea for example they were a team i think that was focused on results they used certain tactical gimmicks to get to where they were going and it worked well for them and there's no you know i'm not criticizing that form of play or anything like that but I think the reason that a team like Guardiola and this is consistent throughout his career it was at Bayern and Barcelona is that the system is focused on the process and the process is transitioning the ball in the best ways and finding the best ways to create space for yourself in the final third or for the team and I think that's the reason that the system continues to improve and we don't see this massive drop off from one year to the next you know teams might have might understand how you know they need to play against Manchester City but ultimately and I'm as as I'm sure Nathan and I will talk about later on in the show the blueprint to beat City is there the difficulty is is that I think there are very few teams who are capable of enacting that that you know tactic or style of play so with that you know the fact that the players are always getting better at enacting this system that's creating space for them in dangerous areas I think that's what makes City better it it, you know they're averaging something like 22 shots a game and they're only getting better at doing that because this system is focused on the process as opposed to actually scoring goals which seems like a weird approach but clearly it's working it could be just my perception or it could be due to change in injuries they've had but to me it seems like City are a little more direct um Nathan have you have you noticed any changes in their style this year well I mean um Mendy coming back in after being injured all of last year and meaning that they're they're playing with rapid fullbacks on both sides in combination with the wingers means that they they're attacking from even more angles so yeah I, it might it might come across like they're playing uh, more directly simply because they have more players that they can push forwards what do you think Nico I think that's definitely the case also Nathan and I had a conversation earlier this season. We kind of talked about, obviously, you know, the like I said, the blueprint to beat City is there in terms of pressing and how you do that. And I think teams in the Premier League, because of this influx of managerial talent, are more likely to play a high line and try to, you know, playing a high line and compacting the formation is going to e- increase the efficiency of, of pressing actions, right? So you talk about the directness of City, and I think that just puts the onus or has put more of an onus on players like John Stones and Nico Otamendi and Laporte to be more active on the ball. And since the, the formations are being more compacted, since, you know, teams are actively trying to disrupt City in that way, the center backs are getting more of the ball. And since they're so talented with the ball at their feet, I think you notice that direct play. And obviously that came into 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 play yesterday against uh, Spurs um, with Aderson picking out Raheem Sterling in the sixth minute. But um, yeah, there's a, there's, you know, there's more of an opportunity for the deeper players to, to get to the front line because of how space is being manipulated in this new era of the Premier League. I mean, did he pick out Raheem Sterling? We'll get into that. We'll get into that. Um, let's just quickly talk about how you think City will end up. So obviously Liverpool have stepped up this year or, or look like stepping up this year with the, the investment in their squad. Um, if there's one thing that will hold City back, what do you think that might be? I think it's going to be the the problem that has always been there and the problem that I think City Football Group had solved up until Jorginho went to Chelsea, right? It's the the lack of, um, I think, subsequent cover for Fernandinho, who is, you know, I think 
uh, people are very quick to dole out praise to people like De Bruyne and Aguero and Leroy Sané and Raheem Sterling, and rightly so. But there are, there are few more crucial members to how this city operate than Fernandinho because he sort of balances the counterpressing actions. He's the one more so last year than this year, but the one that was the, the sort of transitory member of, uh, of the play from the back to the front. And he's such an important part of the team that I think if he goes out for a long time with an injury, though we have players like Delph, who was impressive in that position, um, in a number of games last season and other guys that can sort of play that position like Ilke Gundogan, um, it's still not the same because I think he's so good at it. And I think sometimes given the the type of player that has occupied that role in Guardiola systems past, like Sergio Busquets and Xabi Alonso, not a lot of people look at Fernandinho with that same degree of reverence, but I think it's maybe it's time to start doing so because he is that important to the system. He is that crucial. And though what he does may appear simplistic, it's so complex, the understanding that he has of it, that I think, you know, he's probably one of the most important cogs. And so if there is something that's going to hold City back, it's if he goes down with an injury or, for, or a suspension or something like that, where he's not part of the team for X amount of time, it's it's really going to hurt City. I thought he was your man of the match um, in the game last night. I thought he was absolutely outstanding. So yeah. that's probably a good point to jump into talking about the game a little bit. Nathan, did did you think Spurs set up the right way to play against? I do. Um, <laughs> when when sort of the team was announced last night, there was a lot of panic um, on me. Twitter. Yeah, yeah, very much from you, but others as well. Um, and I saw that, and I thought, yeah, that's he's setting up. You know. Um, he's going to utilise what Sissoko is good at. He's going to put him out wide. He's going to muddy up the midfield, play, you know, press not all the way to the goalkeeper most of the time, but try and make midfield a really busy chaotic area, put the Mela into that chaotic area, make it even more chaotic, and try to turn the ball over in midfield and, and counterattack. Now, it didn't work out, obviously. Um, and part of that is, you know, we did press high once on that sixth minute and immediately City <laughs> took advantage. Trippier made a mistake. Um, and you know that was it. I I think Spurs did um, an okay job of limiting City, but when it's only an okay job, that's not good enough. And they did an okay job of creating chances on the counter attack, but when it's an okay job against City, that's still not enough. So yeah, I think I think tactically that that's the way I've been saying this is how you set up against City. This is how Spurs need to set up against City again and again and again. And he finally does do it. Okay, sorry, he's done it once before when we last beat City 2-0. I think that we set up along those lines. Um, but it didn't it didn't materialise in the win and that's not always going to happen. And, and sometimes, you know, simply the, the limitations of the players are, it's not going to work out for you. I'm interested to get your thoughts on, on what you thought that formation was because to me, it looked as much of a 4-4-2 as it did a 4-3-3 with Lamella playing right up with Kane, which I was very much in favour of. Um, Sissoko playing narrowly on the right, and, and Mura playing pretty narrowly on the, on the left for, for long portions. Like We had essentially a narrow midfield four with two up front. Did, is that how you saw it, or did you see it more as a distinct 4-3-3? No, I, I would definitely say um, a 4-2-3-1 that sort of, well, our defensive shape from a 4-2-3-1 is a 4-4-2 defensive shape. And when you don't have the ball most of the time, you appear to be operating your defensive shape more than your attacking shape because you are. Um, so, yeah, uh, a 4-2-3-1, but Sissoko is always going to tuck inside under instruction and Moore is always going to want to get forward. So you're going to have some sort of nuance and, and, and individual interpretation outside of that. But yeah, a 4-2-3-1, which is pretty much what I was expecting. 
And Nico, we, we, Nathan's kind of set that up quite nicely. So, so what do you think is the best way to play against City? What's the right approach? How do you beat City? Well, I think Nathan is, has outlined it exceptionally well a number of times. He has, I think, a, what is it, like a five-minute video on Twitter that he made last year that kind of talked about Liverpool's approach to it. And I think it's, you know, it's that mid-block. And the thing that maybe was the difference last night for Spurs is that, as you were kind of talking about there, Lamella and Kane were the farthest forward, and they were the ones responsible for that frontline pressing, not all the way to the goalkeeper, but they were the ones responsible for herring sort of the back four. And I think that is that was kind of the difference is that if you look at Liverpool, who have obviously had the most success against City, they're able to corral passes into midfield and manipulate how City passed the ball, which, you know, basically, you know, they're, they're allowing them to think or they're pushing them into zones where they have to make passes into midfield. And then because they've put them in an, in a spot where they want them to go, they can press how they want to press, they can press efficiently in, in a midfield area and kind of break from there. And I think think if that is the approach that Tottenham last talk, Tottenham fully took last night, which, you know, I, I'm sort of kind of halfway on, I think that was the difference is that they weren't able to corral the passes against City as well as someone like Liverpool does. Um, but yeah, I think to answer your question, that is sort of how you play against City. You have to play a high line. It has to be in tandem with the, the front line and how they press. And then you have to basically set pressing traps in midfield and break from there um that's how i think that's how obviously has been displayed is the most efficient way because liverpool beat us three times in a row last season and nathan what did you make of our performance overall did you feel like we i mean to me it looked like a valiant effort with um 11 players who aren't our best 11 players against the best in the country by a distance um they tried really hard they just couldn't do the things that they need to do as well as other players might have done um that's probably slightly simplistic what did you make of the performance overall well i mean yeah you can you can sort of angle a loss and say look we lost narrowly one nil at home to probably the best team in the world probably the best team in the history of the premier league and say well that's not bad is it and also it was at wembley on a, a torn up pitch and lamella missed because the ball bubbled in front of his foot i thought the performance was okay and i think it's okay to be okay against city um <laughs> Yeah, uh, uh, yeah. So the the intentions, the tactical intentions are there, but we aren't setting traps the way you need to set traps, and we weren't productive on the counter in the way that you need to be productive on the counter. So I I'm not disheartened by the performance. What were the key bright spots? Um, being able to turn the ball over from from Mendy um, <laughs> and attack behind the right side. And Sissoko was... had a really big say in that. I mean, he Sissoko put in his best performance in the Spurs shirt, in my opinion. I mean, don't get me wrong. There were moments in the final third where I was covering my eyes and or, or just laughing hysterically. <laughs> but he, he did some really good things, you know, in, in the counter press in particular. And once we got the ball, he drove forward and he did all the things that you want Sissoko to be doing. I just think he needs to just lay the ball off every time. Don't don't even try and shoot. Don't try and cross. Just lay it off to someone who can do those things better. And he suddenly becomes a very effective, effective player. A new year is full of surprises. But one thing is always predictable. Postage costs go up. Stamps.com gives you crazy discounts of up to 89% off USPS and UPS services. So when postage goes up, your business will barely notice the change. Stamps.com is like your own personal post office, wherever you are. You can even take care of orders on the go with the mobile app. No lines, no traffic, no waiting. 
schedule package pickups, automatically find the cheapest and fastest shipping options, and seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. There's even a supply store where you can stock up on mailing supplies, labels, even printers. Stamps.com has been indispensable for over 1 million businesses just like yours. All you need is a computer or phone and printer. Take a chunk out of your mailing and shipping costs this year with Stamps.com. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. But Winks as well, I'm interested to get your thoughts, Nathan, on Winks, who's had some praise from Guardiola um, post-match. And and that's exciting to me because lots of people have been quite tepid on Winks. But when you hear someone like Pep say, yeah, he's the real deal or he changed the game, which is what he said, that's that that makes me think maybe I'm not going crazy and Winks is potentially as good as I think he could be. What did you make of his performance? I thought he had a really good cameo. I thought he came on and played an excellent game. Um, Playing a a midfield of Dian Dembele, you know, they're going to be physical. They're going to be tough. They're going to uh, hassle players on the ball and, and, and like we intended, make a mess of midfield. But then the pass after you win the ball um, is maybe not going to be so great. And that's what Winks was able to give us was that early ball over the top. And that's what he's really good at. So, yeah, it was a really good cameo. Um, And that says he's slowly building up his fitness because he's returning from injury. Um, he received some criticism the other week uh, after the game against uh, West Ham. And I don't think that criticism was invalid. And I think you can say, OK, he's he's really promising, but these are worry areas. But overall, I think that you should be positive about him. And I think that, that, that last night was a really positive display for him. And I think a performance like that against such a great team will hope lead to even greater confidence and, and hopefully a run of good games from him. Nico, let's let's talk about your thoughts on Spurs because it's really interesting to get an outside perspective, especially from someone who is used to watching real top class football every week. What <laughs> what do you make of Spurs? I have long admired Pochettino and what he's done with Spurs and as Nathan will tell you, I have long admired some of the players that you guys have at your disposal. I think Davinson Sanchez has had a difficult year, but I think he's ultimately a really promising talent. I really think that Danny Rose, when fit, is one of the better fullbacks on the planet. Um, and there's just a ton of players that I really admire because because of what Pochettino has been able to do with them. And I am often sympathetic of of the position that Pochettino is in in terms of a manager that I think is similar in quality to that of the Guardiolas of the world but doesn't necessarily have the same financial backing. I am generally someone um, of the opinion who I think if he had the same financial backing that someone like Jurgen Klopp has been afforded then you would see a genuine title challenger in, in Spurs as to one that, as opposed to one that maybe is struggling to to kind of make a, a case for themselves this year. So I, I really am am jealous of the club because I think he's a fantastic manager. But again, it's a it's a difficult predicament the one that you're in given the lack of financial investment, and that just equates to how well are you able to sort of enact the the tactical message that. Pochettino wants to put it on the field and how quickly are you able to do so right I think that's a, that's a that's a really good point and he makes up for a lot of um, shortcoming throughout the club with his with his tactical expertise the ability to coach um there are parts of me that are starting to wonder whether that's potentially coming to an end now you know how much more can you get out of this squad basically um we had numerous questions about our fullback so let's let's read one of them 
Um, Scott Labar said, how important is strengthening our fullbacks? Trips is awful, 1v1, better <laughs> wingback than fullback. Davis hasn't stepped up like he has in past seasons. Danny is injury prone and Serge is hit and miss. Or is a central midfielder and backup to Ericsson more important? Maddening that we signed no one last summer. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's hard to disagree with any of that. But Nathan, is it becoming more and more clear by the game that, that these are the weak points? Yeah, I mean, we've been saying for a while. I think that's, that's pretty locked on. I'm, I'm reluctant to sort of jump on Trippier once again on this podcast because I think he had a lot of grief for one... No, not horrendous mistake um, against City. So I, I'm, yeah, I'm reluctant to sort of give him a hard time for that. Um, yeah, those are the problem areas. You're a bigger man than I. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you do it then. <laughs> oh God, two mistakes in one goal. <laughs> I mean, that header was pathetic. He was trying to glance it back to to Larry. Do you not? Do you not also, also think the one on one? Do you, do you not also think you know it's a little bit of a tough time for for trips in the sense that I think he definitely has his shortcomings. And they were presented, but a through ball from the greatest player of all time, and then uh, <laughs> picking out of Raheem Sterling from one of the more talented goalkeepers with his feet within the span of a couple of weeks, I think is is something difficult to go through publicly. <laughs> it's hard to disagree with that. It's hard to disagree with that. Yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. Trippi has done some good things offensively this season, and I, I I was very impressed with him in the World Cup. I think he's, like Scott said, he's much much better at wing back when he doesn't have to focus on defending too much because he's he's not the best one on one defender. Um, but we've got ourselves into this predicament, and we've got Davis on the other side who, again, like Scott says, hasn't stepped up like last year. Last year he had a run of maybe eight to ten games where he looked really impressive, and he was making those underlapping runs and getting forward and, and creating carnage in the opposition box, which it just looks something that's miles away now. Davis has barely ever popped up in the opposition box this season. It's just, uh, it's steady and, and nothing else from him. Um, but but really, this is this is a long-standing problem that should have been addressed two years ago. Um, perhaps even before, if, we, if we're talking succession planning. And I, I don't quite understand the, the rationale behind any of this. But... As Scott says, there are other weaknesses as well, and one of one such weakness is central midfield. Particularly, as we we mentioned earlier in the article, if we were to sell sell Dembele and cash in on him with his contract situation, which is the biggest priority, Nathan? I would still say central midfield. Just and Nico, would you agree with that? What I mean, the fullback position in in the last five years has become so crucial. It used to be one of those positions where you could potentially put your weakest players, and and they would get by, and that would be fine. They would just have to do a job. Not too much would be expected of them, but really, it's it's developed now into such a vital position. And and we talk about fullbacks, but really, it's it's wingbacks. Let's let's face it; they're not traditional fullbacks anymore. The the position has changed; it's moved on, and they're expected to be athletic, dynamic, to to cross, to be able to run back and and make last ditch challenges one on one. They're doing a bit of everything, and and you know, even sometimes coming into the centre of the pitch and playmaking, as we've seen with City's fullback at the time. Um, what do you make of our fullbacks out of interest? I, I like a lot of them. I think the difficulty is just injuries and kind of what you were mentioning there about the role of the modern fullback. This is something that I listened to. Um, a, I saw a video with Marcelo Bielsa talking about it the other day, and it's a position that I think it kind of has defined the difference between, you know, average or decent teams and great teams is they're the farthest players away you mentioned you know you can you used to be able to put your worst players or your worst players at least on the ball there and just kind of put an athlete but because people realize the tactical advantage that they have by putting really talented players in those positions the ones that can take advantage of a lot of space the game has transformed and subsequently the role has transformed so i'm really positive about some of the 
players that you have. Like I said, I don't have the highest opinion of, of Kieran Trippier. I think he's good. Um, but, you know, I have faith in Pochettino's ability to bring on Serge Aurier and make him into a more complete player. I also, like I said, I have a very high opinion of Danny Rose and Ben Davies is a solid player. But the difficulty is, is like I said, injuries, because you, you mentioned Moussa Dembele at the top of the show. As good as he is, I find it almost heartbreaking to see like when Spurs fans get excited about a good Musa performance because it feels like <laughs> he's two games away from having a, a you know a six month injury or a three month injury. You know what I mean? So it's just really difficult because Spurs have to operate in a completely different financial world from that of City and that of Liverpool and all these other teams in the sense where they kind of have to take these gambles against guys like like Aurier who need development or or whoever. And if they just have had the 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 buying power you know you could put a lamina in that position or you could put a more competent player in that position and then the you know the tactical message that pochettino is trying to put across is just that much more clear and it happens that much more quickly so it's a really interesting point and i think the central midfield role is choosing the right player to fill Dembele's boots is such a vital such a vital decision Spurs over the coming months and it's one we have to get right because that will whatever happens there will determine our future essentially. Um, I am interested just to have a think about whether you guys think our transition into these different style of fullbacks we have now as first choice is a deliberate thing or not because I was thinking about this the other day two years ago when we had Danny Rose and Kyle Walker um, to pure athletes who have no little technique as well um, and, and would bomb up and down the wing, beat their man, cut the ball back. Rose would swing in cross after cross. They would cause um, confusion because it was kind of, does the fullback go out to meet them? Does the winger have to track back? So there was that kind of confusion in the op- op- opposition defence. And now we have stylistically very different fullbacks who do different things and have, have their own strengths, but don't have anything like the uh, nat- natural athleticism of, of Rose and Walker. Um, they're a little more timid in, in taking their, their men on, to put it, to put it lightly. Uh, Trippier likes to use the ball from deeper areas. He's a very good passer of the ball, quite progressive passer of the ball, but they'll often be from deeper areas or he'll be crossing. Um, has Pochettino stumbled upon this? Or, or has has this played into a, a change in system that he actually wanted to make? Nathan, what do you think? Is it is it is it just circumstance? And he's making the best of it now. I I would say it's probably circumstance. Um, I think if this is intentional and he has said no, let's use Trippier and Davies because they're very good fullbacks and I like them. Um, <laughs> then then you know so yeah, we've been out. We've got Mora. We utilize Sun more. We place his Soko out wide. We sometimes play Lamella on the left, um, and then he still rolls inside anyway. Um, <laughs> So yeah, there's maybe been a suggestion, and in the summer I wrote about potentially a move to a four-one-four-one with inverted fullbacks, sort of taking um, a huge example from Pep, and that's not materialised. So no, I still think he's he's just limited by what he has because we have been poking about, you know, Ryan Sessegnon and uh, Ricardo Pereira and these sort of athletic wingbacks again. Thank you for reassuring. I, that's, <laughs> that's what I wanted to hear. Um, I do, I do, I do worry. I do worry. He's kind of changed. He's been almost forced into changing his philosophy, tactical philosophy. And it, like you mentioned earlier, when you've got good attacking fullbacks, it gives you a whole other dimension. And I feel like we've we've really lost that. And it becomes the reliance is there even more so on the likes of Ericsson to unpick the lock, and that puts a hell of a lot of pressure. And don't get me wrong, Ericsson's a wonderful player. He's one of our best, but that puts a hell of a lot of pressure on on one guy. I think it also is is very just so I can wax lyrically about um, Kyle Walker for a second. I think it's very difficult to replace someone of his quality. I, I wrote a couple of weeks ago um, about how you know Manchester City can 
essentially play or switch fluidly between a, a four back and a three back because of his ability to be a center back or be a, a, a wide player. And I think he was on Soccer AM talking to Tubes about <laughs> the change in role that he's experienced under Pep and how, not in a disparaging way, but he kind of talked about how under Pochettino, the role that he had as a fullback was more simplistic. It was purely based on what he did on the flank. Whereas with Pep, he's had a role at center back. He's had that traditional role outside, but also he stepped into midfield. He's done all these things. And when you have a player that's capable of all of that and is given that opportunity to do so, I think it's it just shows his quality. And so Pochettino losing that member of his team, I think is immense. It's nice to hear you um, speak about Walker in that way. He's one of my favorite Spurs players, to be honest, of all time. Um, I absolutely love Kyle Walker. I had so much time for him. I think he was one of the most underrated players we've had within our own fan base. People didn't really appreciate him fully until he was gone, sadly. Um, and he actually had a really rough game last night. He, he did a lot of bad things <laughs> and made some bad decisions. Um, and there was there was some laughter from Spurs fans, which is slightly cruel because on the whole, he's been missing Sister City. Yeah. So that move um, was money well spent as far as I'm concerned. Okay, we'll move on a little and we'll answer some questions from our... From our so we have one from uh, Mr. WP who said, question for both Nico and Nate, how much football do you actually watch? And how long does it take to analyse, like, over what period can you make a decision on what a player is like? Nathan, let's start with you. I watch so much football. I watch ridiculous amount of football. <laughs> my my internet recently, as Nico knows, got upgraded from pitifully bad to very good, which means on Saturday I was streaming three games at one time at the 3pm kickoff, and that might be something I do regularly. Um, I also sort of um, have, over the years, gathered the knowledge of where to find football games, and I download games, and I watch games at three or four or five or six times speed to get the quick tactical idea of what's going on in the game um, so that I don't have to watch the full 90 minutes of football to say what happened in the game. And that might sound incredibly nerdy. That's because it is. Um, <laughs> how long does it take me to get an idea on a player? If it's like, okay, Spurs have been linked with this player, I might watch five or six games. Um, and I think that gives me a good idea. But I wouldn't say I've made up my mind because I still haven't made up my mind on Harry Winks. I still haven't made up my mind on Sergio Ria. I feel like I have a decent idea of them. But players grow and adapt and learn under new coaches and change circumstances based on new tactical systems or context. So, um, yeah, I hope I've answered that question. And, you know, form is a thing. That's It's fine that a player has a, a run of bad yeah. form and, and then comes back round. That's that's perfect. Now, how about you, Nico? How much football do you watch and uh, and how long do you, how long do you spend analysing? Generally speaking, I think I watch maybe three or four games a week now, whereas like a week or not a week ago, a year ago, I literally watched two a day, maybe three a day, seven days a week because I just had much more time. But now between school, a you know, real life job, the writing that I do, the podcast that I do, I just don't have enough time to do that. And I want to stay sane as well. Um, so <laughs> yeah, I typically three to four games a week and I, and I try to make sure that they're games that I'm going to enjoy. And then as far as the, the whole player thing goes, um, I would agree with Nathan in the sense that maybe five or six games is really important. Also, if I have the, you know, ability to kind of choose which games it's going to be, then I will, you know, typically take two or three very difficult games against very good opposition and then maybe two or three games that are against a, a lesser team. I think generally that gives me a good idea as to how, you know, what they like to do, how they like to do it, the things that they're good at, the things that maybe they need to work on, stuff like that. Those are my general kind of specifications i guess have you ever been approached to give a scouting report on a player uh yeah i used to my local club orlando city 
is they've I've worked with them a little bit in terms of like a professional consulting sense. Um, nothing super official, but yeah, I've been asked to give my thoughts on on a few MLS players, but that's about it. That's really cool. That's really really cool. Are you able to say which players you recommended? I am not. <laughs> I signed the agreement to not say much, but yeah, it was it was some locally scouted players from guys that um, played in the USL Pro. Um, I can give you that much, and and you know they they try to scout locally um, because scouting is very expensive but yeah so you actually went and watched them in the flesh yeah uh, they asked a group of us to come along because there were some guys that they just i guess you call them itks or (laughs) whatever but people that they you know they sent along to to different games and they had some development games um in, in one of the matches actually in the summer they play one of the development teams for orlando city played stoke and i got to meet mark hughes and whatnot but yeah Wow, living the life. This is that's the dream, isn't there, it? Is that, would you like to get into scouting? No, 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 not at all. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it is not the life for me. It's a, a there. What gave me a, really a lot of insight into that sort of career um, was Analytics FC. The podcast has a couple episodes with professional analysts, and I mean those guys work insanely hard at what they do, and they're up, and it's a very thankless job, um, and it's a lot of sort of traveling and writing, you know, for ten page match reports on something someone may not eventually read at all so or use the information um provided so you know it's 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 nice and it was a nice thing to experience and i'm glad i did it but as far as sort of a professional career i don't think i'd like to do it we refer to them as dossiers (laughs) after (laughs) abb Um, next question is from Keith Weichel, who says, does this era of the Premier League represent a higher level of quality due to managers like Pep Mourinho, Klopp, and to some extent Pochettino, all being in the Premier League at once? Or is it merely an apex event of entertainment and economics? That's an awesome wording of a question. Nathan, I'll, I'll start off with you on that one, if that's okay. Yeah, well, I think that the reason we have such a, a, a huge and broad talent of managers in the league at the moment is because of the sort of surrounding economic and entertainment reasons. Um, so it's sort of both and, and one enabling the other. I would make a note on the question, which is that I would um, say in the existing modern context, I would rate Pochino higher than Mourinho for um, <laughs> strength of managers. <laughs> um, yeah, I do. I think that's, I, a, that's a really interesting point because... Yeah, I would as well. Of course I would. Because... I would as well, just to get my opinions out there. <laughs> but 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 Mourinho has a you know, the, the proverbial trophy cabinet full of full of shiny things. Pochettino <laughs> has very little to show for himself. And and there is something in that, you know. Mourinho's won everything, Pochettino's won very little slash nothing. So so how do you how do you kind of judge how what's the baseline for judging who the best managers of the two? Well uh <laughs> So you can um you can look at it from the perspective of what happened five years ago doesn't matter, okay, and and only judge based on the last five years as a, as an example of a cutoff. Not necessarily because I'm biased towards Pochettino <laughs> and against Mourinho, but because I think football has changed so much over the last few years, and I think that Mourinho's style, um, well, even meta beyond Mourinho, I think that that football coaching skills. Um, date over time and I think that you know Alex Ferguson knew that and that's why he got out when he did he said the game's changing I'm gone I think Wenger should have done um and I think that Mourinho needs to do soon because his his reactive style his his 
the defensiveness of Mourinho is overplayed, but he is still correctly identified as a fairly defensive coach. And I think that that carries less value in the modern game when teams also can defend against his defensive style and then who scores the goals. I think that um, pressing has developed beyond his ability to teach pressing. I think that possession is more structured than it ever was when he was first having an impact. Um, what Mourinho has achieved, you can't ever take away from him. Um, and is Pochettino... Um, has Pochettino achieved half as much as Mourinho has? No. Um, does he have the legacy that Mourinho has? No. But today, who would I rather have coached my team? Definitely Pochettino. Yeah, I think you pretty much put that perfect. Um, sorry to put you on the spot there, by the way, but <laughs> that that was interesting. Um, okay, I think we'll call it a day there, guys, because I'm 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 wary about taking up more of your time. But I've I've thoroughly enjoyed this chat. And Nico, we'll have to get you back on at some point. It's been great. No, yeah, I've loved Thank it. Thank you so much. It's it's really great for you to join us. Um, uh, obviously, you, you are friends with Nathan, and so so we hadn't had an in to you, but um, you know, I've listened to you on numerous other podcasts, and I always I always love your work. So thank you so much. I really appreciate it. It's been a pleasure, and and likewise to you. You know, I think that the work that you do covering the the you know youth side of the the game is is really impressive, and I've always I've always massively enjoyed it. So really, thanks again. You're very kind. Let's let's have a circle, Jack. This is awesome. <laughs> Nathan, thank you very much as ever. Um, have you missed Bardi at all? Be honest. <laughs> uh, not this week, but I reckon if we did another without him, <laughs> I'd start to miss him. Very diplomatic. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll be back soon with another episode. It's the fight in. It's the fight in. Clock. It's the fight in. It's the fight in. Clock. Oh, that was really interesting, mate, yeah.